Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, you all know what an electric grid is. Basically, it's powers generated centrally by the utilities in big power plants, gas, solar, nuclear, coal. It's transmitted at high voltages via overhead and sometimes underground wires to local substations where the voltage is lowered down to the distribution level. And then there's some controls in these local substations. And then that local power is distributed over these, you know, utility poles, utility wires to homes and businesses. There's transformers on top of the utility poles, some controls, things like that. Now, it's called a grid because there's a network of wires that move the power around from node to node. There's nodes that consume, there's nodes that generate, there's nodes that control. Okay, so basically it's just a big power source, wires and controls. Now, a microgrid is the same concept, obviously, on a smaller scale. So one example of a microgrid is a complex of buildings on an island. Sometimes they say the islands are their own microgrids. Um, So this complex of buildings may have one little outbuilding that has a central power plant. They all almost always used to be diesel. Now a lot of them are solar with batteries, and then they also have usually some kind of emergency backup generator, usually diesel also. So these power plants have a combination of diesel, solar, maybe wind, and, and sometimes batteries. And then they have wires going from this little central power plant. I mean, it just could be a little shed or a bigger building going to the multiple buildings in the island. Might be a commercial building, residences, hotels, things like that. And the power is used in the buildings. So so that's a microgrid. It's on an island. You know, there's no other way to get utility power there. Basically, you're generating your own power. Now, often, and there's some of these microgrids can be tied together. So if you have an island with maybe two resorts on it, each resort may have its own microgrid. And they may be tied together for redundancy in case of an emergency. If there's an emergency at one, you know, the power goes out at one of these hotels or there's a storm on the, the east side of the island and wipes things out, well, then maybe the hotel on the west side of the island has power. So they tie these things together and you get some redundancy there. So now you've got a microgrid that's a little bit bigger. Now, another tiny example of a microgrid, you might have one in your pocket. Just think about your cell phone. Cell phone, it's got a, a battery. Sometimes you have an external little backup battery and you might have a little mini solar charger. So those things are little mini grids. And then, you know, for the holiday season, I, I got a couple of these little crank up emergency radio flashlight combos. They only cost like 25, 30 bucks. It's very, very cool. They've been around for a long time. They've gotten really cheap. It's a small radio. It has a little crank on the outside. So it's a, the crank is a generator. So that generator basically you crank it and it's got batteries inside. So it stores up the power from the generator. And that provides enough power for the phone. And there's a flashlight on there. And then there's also a tiny solar panel on the top. So you can leave the thing out in the sun and you know, not a lot of power, but it's enough for the battery to charge the battery up. But it's enough for the radio and it's enough for the flashlight. Well, obviously, you're not going to need the flashlight if you have sun. Now, the other cool thing is there's a little outlet on this charger for my phone. So I can charge up my phone or anything that uses a USB, a little mini microgrid. Okay. So we got different scales of microgrids. Why so much interest in microgrids now? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. First, The current electric grid is fairly good. I mean, we've had it for 120 years or so, um, but it's expensive. The power is expensive and it's unreliable. Eh, Maybe more reliable than it was 50 years ago, but it's, it's, it's not that reliable anymore. And it sounds like it's relatively cheap, but heck, you know, homes are paying $200, $300 a month for electricity and there's cheaper sources of power. So we're not getting the most economic benefit from the current grid. Now, this grid 
is based on technology from the 19th century when you know Edison and Westinghouse first figured out how to have a central generating plant and ran wires to places. So really not that modern at all. And it also kind of relies on the concept of central power generation. You know, maybe inside, it used to be in, you know, in the city, but now outside the city, you've got this big generating plant. I mean, here in San Jose, we've got the Metcalf Energy Center. We've got solar farms in the desert down south. Other cities have coal and nuclear plants. So you've got these big plants outside the city. One-way power flow from these high-voltage transmission lines to local distribution centers. And basically, the power only goes one way. It doesn't really work very well for power to flow from point to point. And it's necessary now because we have new technology like solar and storage. So the microgrids have the potential to be much cheaper for businesses and homeowners and much more reliable. So they're going to be connected to the grid in some way as these things come out, but they're also going to function independently. So why should we bother with microgrids? I mean, the utility's there. I mean, don't worry. You listen to them. We'll take care of your electricity needs. We'll bid, build the grid. Don't worry. It'll be cheap. It'll be reliable. Well, the thing is that when you look at it from a consumer standpoint, a business or a, a homeowner, there's some big benefits. First of all, we just kind of look at what's going on in in many parts of the country. The power isn't reliable enough. We're having storms, we're having fires, there's earthquakes, and there's just even like stupid things like the grid's not being updated, so the power goes out. It's unbelievable to me, but I've had five power failures in Silicon Valley in my house that have been over a few hours over the last year. I just had another one last week. You know, you know. I mean, I don't know how long it was. I came home and all the clocks were blinking, and the, the clock had advanced a couple hours, so it'd been out for a little while. It baffles me that you know, here in suburbia we're having so many power outages and steady. So, so homes and businesses need steady power, and it's it's no longer to the point where we can rely on utility power. And then you look around at some of these disasters that are happening. I mean, heck, Puerto Rico's been three months without power. More blackouts. So with a microgrid, in addition to getting more affordable power, you can also ha- get power when power is out. Your business can keep running. You can keep the f- food in your freezer cold. Your kids won't be whining because they can still play their video games. So there's benefits there, reliability and cost. Now, economics, we're talking about economics. Um, let's talk about the economics for businesses. Demand charges. These are these are charges that utility charges on peak kilowatt usage. So it's 15 to $20 per peak kilowatt. So if you're running a business, small business, an industrial facility, you have a peak demand of 200 kilowatts, you're going to be paying an extra $4,000 a month just for your power bill because of these spikes. And a lot of times also, they their time of use rates, and these time of use rates used to be really expensive during the day and cheap in the evening, and well, now it's flipped. Now they're cheap during the day and more expensive in the evening. So you can generate solar power during the day stored in a battery and then save a lot of money. Same benefits accrue to homeowners. We don't in homes. There's a few places where they have demand charges, but there's limits on net metering, so you can store your own energy. Time of use rates here in California have shifted to late in the day. They're going to be four to nine p.m. Not a lot of sun from four to nine p.m. So what you do is you can store your solar power that you generate really cheaply during the day. I mean, heck, six or seven cents a kilowatt hour to generate that power, and then you can then you're not buying power for forty cents a kilowatt hour from four to nine p.m. You know, there's also benefits. There's rebates. Okay. So let's take a look at what the components are in a microgrid. They're analogous to what you have in the big grid. You know, somewhat analogous to what you have in these little mini generator things or your phone. You've got an energy source. So that used to be coal, nuclear. Well, now it's solar 
and it's wind. Now, in a microgrid, you may also have a generator. So sometimes if the power goes out, you want a diesel generator. The thing's still going to run. In the future, I can see having a fuel cell that's going to be using natural gas or, or maybe hydrogen if that ever becomes a reality, and it's going to generate electricity. So you've got the power source. Now, second thing that goes on in microgrids is a lot of times they have energy storage because solar, you're not going to get the solar during the, the at night. Wind may be somewhat intermittent, and, and you know you may want to also charge up from the grid. So you've got energy storage, and you Think about that as a battery. That's really what's taking off. But think about the batteries that we're driving around in our cars all the time. Every car's got a 12-volt battery, but a bigger and bigger percentage of the cars are electric, fully electric. And, and it'd be easy, and this will happen, where people are going to be plugging their cars into their microgrid. And that way, the car is going to charge up from the grid. And when the grid needs power, or your home needs power, or your business needs power, you're going to suck some energy out of that battery. And those batteries are getting cheaper and cheaper. All right. So in these microgrids also, we've got wires. In a multi-building microgrid, you may have wires going between buildings. One meter on the whole facility, but you're going to have wires going between the buildings. So you can send power from one building to another. And most importantly, you're going to have controller and communications. This is really important. This is probably why microgrids are starting to take off. These microgrids have to be smarter than the current dumb grids because they have to decide where to send the power. Should we save the power now, stored in a battery because it's going to be cloudy tomorrow, or should we use it? It's going to be hot in the afternoon, so should we pre-cool the building so that we don't have to use a lot of expensive electricity or pull power out of the battery? So home microgrids, fairly simple. Not much different than off-grid houses. And obviously, as I said, in the future, these things are going to connect to your car. You're going to have more connections to appliances your home, like HVAC systems, to your thermostat. And you're going to maybe provide grid services if there's adequate compensation. We'll talk about that more later. Now, commercial and industrial microgrids, that's a big market because businesses don't want to be down when the power goes out. They need that reliable power. They don't want to see power brownouts where the the voltage goes down and they have to kind of shut things down. They want to achieve some energy savings. And businesses may also be interested in providing grid services if they get adequately compensated by the utilities. And we'll talk about more of that later. Okay, now we talked about these things called grid services or grid support functions. What are those? Okay, well, when you have this kind of centralized grid, there's some problems that sometimes happen on the grid because the generation doesn't always happen, um, doesn't happen locally, but the power is consumed locally. So what happens is at the edge of the grid, you know, maybe a house at the end of a, a long utility line, or, you know, maybe a commercial building that uses a lot of power. The voltage may be too low sometimes, or the power factor, this is the relationship between real and reactive power, the power factor might not be right. Or there might be a brownout, the, the voltage get, goes down a little bit, and, and they just can't supply enough current. Or there may just be a complete power failure. So a lot of systems, these microgrids, can provide these grid support systems. So the the equipment that homes have and businesses have can actually support the grid. Anybody who has rooftop solar right now can provide some of these grid support services. The problem is the utilities aren't compensating people for it. Just one really simple example, the inverters are designed to shut down if the frequency goes out of whack or the voltage gets too high or too low. But sometimes the, the, the utilities want those things to keep working, want those inverters to keep working. So it's possible for the utility to send a signal out or the inverter company to be contacted by the utility to send a signal out to all of their inverters in a certain area saying, hey, don't shut down when the voltage gets to 220 volts. Keep going just because we're having a little bit of a problem. And the, you know, the flip side can happen if the voltage gets too high. So these support services are there. 
local storage can also provide support services. Let's say there's a blackout happening or a brownout, and maybe you know some of the power generation isn't available, or it's a really, really hot day, and everybody's running their air conditioner, and people are plugging in their electric vehicles. Well, then in that case, the customers, the businesses, the homes, can actually sell power back to the grid from their batteries, and as long as they get compensated for it, that would be fine. That's another grid support function. Now, it's easy to discharge those batteries. Imagine if you have electric vehicles that were plugged in and charging, and then it turns out that, you know, gee, it's a really hot day, everybody's charging up their cars. They can send out a command to say stop charging or even send the power from the vehicles into the grid. That's going to happen. It's going to take a while. Utilities love these concepts because they're elegant, they work. The dilemma is, since the utilities are in the business of selling power and building equipment, they generally don't want to compensate the customers adequately for, for providing these services. But that may change. We'll see. Now, so why are we talking about microgrids now? I mean, why, why wasn't this an issue 20 years ago? What's changed? Well, three things. First of all, energy storage is getting cheaper and cheaper. Lithium-ion batteries make sense. They last a long time. They're reliable. They have good characteristics. Um, and and, and the, the cost is coming down because the automobile industry is building more and more. Second is we have new control and communications technologies. That Everybody's got an app. They've got cell phones. It's easy to send commands around. And the last thing, the last reason is the grid, because we're using more and more power, seems to be getting less reliable. Um, and it's definitely a fact in a lot of locations. And moreover, we rely more and more on electricity. So these three things, cheaper energy storage, better communications and controls, and a less reliable grid, is why we're, we're kind of talking about microgrids. Now, we talk a lot about energy storage and grid reliability, but let's focus on the control and communications technologies. This is kind of what's changed. Devices can be smart now. I mean, heck, you can get a light bulb that's got a little chip in it. It can be internet addressable. Your car can now talks to, car talks to your car, your car company, communication. It's got a phone in it. Your building's HVAC system or your home thermostat, these got electronic thermostats, all can communicate. It's called the internet of things. The internet's everywhere. Just look at what we have in solar, microinverters, optimizers, smart inverters, and every microinverter and optimizer can be controlled independently, you know, from manufacturers, servers, or, you know, from your your own cell phone. So as I mentioned, thermostats and HVAC controls are there. Smart EV chargers. The other thing that's happening is we're starting to see circuit breakers and electric panels that have smart circuit breakers and energy monitors. So the circuit breakers can say, hey, gee, we seem to be using a lot of power on the air conditioner right now. Maybe that's kind of going bad. Send out somebody to maintain it. Or you can say, hey, gee, we're starting to get close to the peak demand period. Let's not run the refrigerator and the freezer at the same time. Let's kind of cycle them so that they alternate. So that's happening. The hardware for these things is getting cheaper and cheaper. I mean, heck, it used to be like a huge circuit board that they could be internet addressable, and now there's a tiny little microchip that does that. And we have better software that can control it. The saying is there's an app for everything. So it's kind of like a new frontier. We have the communications capabilities to control these things. And then what's happening is that we've got new ways of managing these transactions. So it's easier to value energy. And when I'm talking about energy, I'm talking about valuing the kilowatt hours of the energy and the kilowatts of the demand. So, I mean, you know, just think about, let's talk about round numbers. Electricity is 20 cents a kilowatt hour and peak demand might be $20 a kilowatt. So we can start to do financial transactions 
between sellers and purchasers of electricity. And I'm not talking about the transactions that we're used to, which is the utility says this is what you're going to buy it at, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, i got to pay that bill every month. It's changed because now there's other sources of electricity, whether you're putting in your own solar and storage in a microgrid, or even down the road, whether you're able to buy electricity from another source. Now, there's a fundamental problem here, and the problem is electricity... Per kilowatt hour, 20 cents a kilowatt hour, 10 cents a kilowatt hour in some cheap places, it's pretty cheap. So we have to have a cheap and secure way of tracking these electricity sales. We can't have like meter readers in these, you know, dial meters everywhere where the, the it's being exchanged. The good news is there's cheaper ways to do it. Instead of spending, you know, $100 to keep track of daily energy trades of $1,000, we've got technologies like blockchain and, and current transducers and the Internet of Things that can talk to these things at work. Now, blockchain, very, very cool. It's being heralded as a cool way, a great way to keep track of these energy trades. Because blockchain basically is kind of, there's a database keeping track of buyers and sellers and the whole details of the transaction that goes along with the transaction. And it's so efficient that even if you're sending little bits of electricity back and forth for relatively small amounts of money, the burden, the friction of that transaction in terms of the cost to, to keep track of that transaction is pretty low. Now, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum can also be used for energy trading. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not really that familiar. I'm not a genius when it comes to blockchain and Bitcoin and Ethereum. But in some of the upcoming energy shows, we're going to have some experts that are going to talk about how that works. But I do know that blockchain will be used. It's really, really good for trading things like energy. Now, there's challenges. And one of the challenges, and this is, again, where microgrids come in, kind of wrapping things up. The utilities, a utility has a legal monopoly for the wires that are used for electricity distribution. So here's like a typical microgrid situation that, that you know people would encounter that they'd like to see. Like you have two buildings next to each other, you know, company A and company B. One has solar and batteries, company A, and company B doesn't have any solar and batteries. So the company A with solar and batteries might have excess energy. Maybe they're kind of you know on vacation for a week or so. They want to sell the energy to their neighbor next door. Now, maybe they have net metering, but they're not going to get a lot of money for that net metering during the day. What if they were just to run a wire between the two buildings and say, all right, company B, we're, we're not here. We got lots of solar. We have batteries. We're going to sell you some electricity. It's easy to put an electronic meter on the wire. These are little things called current transducers, a little piece of software and a little communication chip. So you can kind of keep track of how many kilowatt hours and kilowatts are going back and forth to the neighbor. And then using simple technology or even blockchain, you can get paid for these electricity sales. I mean, heck, if you wanted to really do it a dumb way, you could put an old-fashioned rotary meter on there. So this is being done with blockchain transactions in complexes of private buildings where you may have a bunch of buildings together and there's like one master meter. But as far as having two meters on two different buildings that are kind of independent, the utilities won't allow it. That's kind of where the utility monopoly comes in. They're the only ones that are allowed to buy and sell electricity through the wires. But you know what? Companies are going to figure out solutions, and the differences between the price that utilities want to sell you the power, and you can buy it from your, your neighbor, or when you can make it yourself, it's getting bigger and bigger. So economics are going to drive the changes in that utility business model. All right. So kind of where is this going? No doubt that there's going to be a microgrid in your future, whether it's in your home or your business. 
It's basically an energy storage system with generation and a lot more intelligence and communication. It's going to happen in homes and businesses. Now, right now, the economics for these systems are pretty good in areas where the electric rates are high and power is unreliable. If you're an off, if you've got an off-grid house, cottage somewhere, you don't want to spend a hundred thousand dollars to run the utility wires there. Uh, microgrid is a no-brainer. But for many homes and businesses, they're they're starting to put them in because electricity is expensive, and there's incentives, and they want the security of backup power in case of a power failure. So what can you do now? Well, for your homes, there's several microgrids, battery storage systems with solar that are available and that work and they're going to be reliable. So you can do this on your own. Now, for businesses, it's a bigger decision. There's customized systems. A number of them are out there. They're a little bit more complicated to design. They have to be customized to meet the needs of the particular business. But they're there, and the economics for businesses are even better than the economics for homes. So my advice for both homes and businesses... Find a local contractor or a consultant who's familiar with microgrids and energy storage technologies has installed some of these systems. Now, they're new, so there's not a lot of people out there that have a lot of experience. But it's coming, and it makes economic sense right now. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast. 